podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Yo, 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 what's going on, beautiful people? Of course, you are locked in to another episode of the Hashtag Dissonomics Podcast. I hope you've had a great week so far. We are embarking on episode 319. We've been going strong since, what, like October 2016? Damn, near. I was going to be, I was going to be 10 years. Well, my last podcast was regarding the ICJ's ruling on South Africa. Of course, South Africa won, but at what cost? Do you get me? So, what was the ruling? What are the six measures that the ICJ imposed? What happens next? Why are, are Western governments attacking the United Nations, UNRWA, that that house, that clothe, that feed, that educate people in Gaza, the biggest employer in Gaza? All the details of that in the previous week's episode. In this episode, we're going to continue that theme. Um, my, my podcast has kind of like delved into a lot of politics over the years because I think politics matters, but we're going to keep the balance of economics. I'm going to speak in the next episode. I'm going to be talking about mortgages and the interest rates and what's happening with all that. So make sure you stay locked for that. But this week, we're going to talk on the Middle East again. Are we approaching a conclusion? A ceasefire is seemingly looming. So we're going to speak on the ceasefire, what it means, further withdrawal of troops from Gaza back into Israel, what we're still seeing happen in Israel, some very, very alarming allegations. And we're also going to assess the performance of the Israeli military in this war. That's coming up after a short break. Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. Because it's lit. It's lit. A ceasefire looms in the Middle East. Since October 7th, we've been, well, damn near over 120 days of non-stop destruction for the innocent people of Gaza, right? Damn near around 30,000 people probably have died, probably significantly more people because that doesn't take into account people who have been killed and their families just buried them outside of houses or in parking lots. That doesn't include people missing underneath the rubble. The number is likely to be higher and unfortunately, the humanitarian crisis of people starving is winter in Gaza. People are sleeping in tents. Some people aren't even sleeping in tents. There's a lack of food. There's a lack of clean water. There could be further casualties on its way. This war, though, seems to be slowing down-ish. There's still damn near 200 people dying a day due to non-stop incredulous bombing from the IDF, which is the Israeli Defence Forces, despite the ICJ ruling that it's plausible that genocide is occurring and Israel must take six measures and seemingly all five of the six measures, because the last measure was for Israel to report to them, they seem to be violating all of those measures belligerently, right? We're still seeing people die. But a ceasefire seems to be on its way. Now, why should there be a ceasefire? So what? So I'm going to talk on, this is a bit of freestyle, the benefits of a ceasefire for both sides. So let's start off with um, 
the Palestinian resistance, which is Hamas and other factions, but mainly Hamas. What's the benefit of a ceasefire? Well, one, your people are a lot safer. They stop being killed. The fighting stops. Um, you can get aid in. You can start to rebuild Gaza and you live to fight another day. You've achieved your main objective of like taking out that military post um, on October 7th by the border. You would have, by the end of the ceasefire, got several people, well, hundreds of people out of Israeli jail. And one thing people need to understand, when people talk about the hostages, and I feel sorry for the Israeli hostages, the civilian hostages, that is, that are in Gaza currently, and obviously thoughts and prayers with their families and loved ones, is that there's a thing called administrative... Oh, what's the second term? Hold on, let me even Google it as we speak. Somewhere has... Administrative... It's the administrative detention law in Israel. This is a procedure that allows the Israeli military to hold prisoners indefinitely on secret information without charging them or allow them to stand trial. You have literally children and women in there. People getting arrested for something as little as throwing stones in a protest can be slapped in this administrative detention and be in an Israeli prison indefinitely. And from loads of accounts from people who've been released of torture, torture and beatings, right? So these are some of the objectives achieved by Hamas. One, the destruction and taking out of the military post on the border, the successful swapping of hostages for their hostages. And also what I believe will be a success is now the world sees what Israel has been doing in HD. And the level of impunity that Israel has been operating under has been put under a microscope. And we've seen how the control from, I'm assuming, Israeli interest groups have over mainstream media where the reporting has been biased, it's been hidden, some of these atrocities have been misrepresented. Literally, as I was literally before I jumped on um, the pod to record to speak to you people, I was reading of an article on The Guardian regarding workers from CNN, which is, of course, the American news, um, news network. And their staffers were saying the level of pro-Israel bias in their reporting is journalism malpractice. Several different staffers from several different shows um, um, and productions on the network have been complaining. And there's also remarks of how they had to okay some of the reporting with the Israeli Bureau, which is nuts. That's totally nuts. And how they can't really report on certain Palestinian clapbacks and responses, but whatever comes out from the Israeli side, they should take as face value. A blatant bias. We've seen it in the New York Times blatant bias and it's been it's been causing internal issues with their staffers there we've seen it with our own two eyes on sky news and bbc when south africa was for example south africa was presenting their case there was no live show on bbc there's no real speaking to it but when israel did there was none of the top um journalists that speak on politics every day was speaking of the icj ruling in this country 
that's a level of bias. And this thing, these things have been made aware. Now the world knows about the destruction and the violence and the oppression that Israel has been inflicting on the people of Palestine. To the point where they had to be held accountable in the ICJ. And we're going to have the case go on over the next few years. And we've got also them being referred to the ICC. So that's been an objective achieved at a very, very tremendous cost by the Palestinian resistance and Hamas. Now, if we look at the benefits of a ceasefire for the Israelis, one, you get the hostages back, which has been extremely contentious. The families are getting incredulous and impatient. They've been protesting heavily. They've been criticizing the government. And of course, a ceasefire means that obviously a lot of people who have family members in the army get to come home safely and they are safe for the time being. Now, we're going to talk about later, probably they've got a bigger wahala with Hezbollah, but those are some of the benefits of a ceasefire for both sides. And also, the, I think the end of the destruction is good for the image of Israel, although I think it's been, they have done irreparable damage. And all that's going to happen is this, if Israel removes its blockade in terms of allowing foreign journalists and investigators to go into Gaza, it's going to get very spooky. Now, let's um, get talking about this ceasefire. Yeah, so so here's some of the sources. So um, Hebrew Khan Channel, they say that Qatar and Egypt are exerting pressure on Hamas because Hamas have re rejected some of the um, ceasefire proposals. Hamas are not accepting anything that does not include a lasting ceasefire. Americans support a deal that includes a longer ceasefire that could lead to the end of the war. Palestinian sources have also mentioned today that Hamas refuses a ceasefire except with the following conditions. One, stopping the aggression and a complete withdrawal of occupation from the Gaza Strip. Um, some also um, news outlets have said that Hamas have received a proposal, the, the latest one they're looking at it, they haven't responded yet. And the leadership sources at Hamas have said that they are in final stages of internal consultation with the factors regarding proposal received and we will respond soon. Right, so that's how Hamas taking it. Obviously, they're in a power position, and I'm gonna get into why in a power position. I'm gonna give my analysis of what I've seen and read, and my own common sense on what's happening in the war. Right, Israel are in a very tricky position. There's the threats on the north of Israel, which is the border of Lebanon which of course hosts Hezbollah, who have a significantly larger um, amount of fighters. They have tripled the amount of the Hamas fighters and they are more advanced in terms of their strategy and their resources and their military equipment. The last time they got into a real tussle with, with um, Lebanon, Israel was since 2006 and even Israelis described that tussle as a big failure. So tussling with the Lebanese Hezbollah is not a good idea, but they seem hell in doing so. And that's because of like recent escalations in the region, of course, which intensified when Israel kind of broke the unwritten rule of killing, assassinating a Hamas operative leader in Beirut, which is the capital. They've kind of agreed kind of like, listen, 
we okay, we have our differences, but we will not target Tel Aviv and Israel. Okay, cool, we are going to target Beirut, which is the capitals of both nations. So of course, this intensified things, and Hezbollah started to start to throw their jabs, which meant that the Israelis living in the north of Israel, along the border, in and around the border with Lebanon, have had to evacuate, so they've been displaced. And this is a big, big pressure point for the Israelis. So they've been withdrawing troops from Gaza and with hopes of redeploying them in Lebanon. Now, at the start of the war and throughout the war, Israel have been very clear with their main objectives. Completely and utterly destroying and eradicating Hamas, who they believe committed vast atrocities on October the 7th. Take out their main leaders, such as Mohammed Diev, um, Shinwa, and then there's another gentleman, I can't remember from the top, of, um, top of my head, another two gentlemen. And of course, rescue the hostages. They have managed to rescue one hostage so far. Um, they managed to kill three um, from their own incompetence. No, they shot three from their own incompetency. They've killed like damn near 12 from their own bombings. Like, <laughs> like I, was, I was reading on, there was three, they posted videos of a woman and two gentlemen. I think they're all soldiers. Um, only the woman is alive now. There was mass bombings, took out one of the soldiers, one of the gentlemen. They moved the other two. And then the second one got killed in the bombings. And you could see the footage and everything come out of public force size, all that. Um, an Israeli woman, I forget the woman's name, she has been going nuts on the government because they told they told um her her son was killed by Hamas. But then the actual reality, oh of course obviously after they retrieved their body, he actually died at the hands of Israeli strikes. They tried to put put poison gas into the tunnels and it killed her son. Not very effectively. So they haven't been able to get hostages back. The only time they were able to get hostage, they got over a hundred hostages, and that was through the seven-day mini ceasefire pause where they exchanged hostages. That's the only way they got them back. All the big Hamas dogs are still alive. And they haven't completely destroyed Hamas. They keep saying, oh, we're taking over the north, we're taking over the south. Israel claims they've killed 8,000 Hamas operatives. Bullshit. Absolute bullshit. First of all, there's damn near 45,000 of them. So you've barely killed barely killed a significant portion. But that's bullshit. If there was, we would know about it. We would see it. They have not. Because of the tunnel, they can't they can't fuck with the tunnels. And from from witness accounts of uh Israeli um Israeli hostages speaking of how going through the tunnels felt like going for a spider web and from obviously like what we've seen in the news or what I've been reading online and stuff like that they've barely they don't know how to tap pattern this tunnel team they try to flood the tunnels but that clearly doesn't work because there's doors they can just shut the doors the bombs don't really work because an um, Israeli um hostage said that she only knew what was happening above ground because like things will shake a bit but that speaks to the level of engineering of these tunnels that they're pretty much bomb-proof, they're flood-proof, you can't really do much of them. What Israel had discovered tunnels, some of them, 
but it's a very minute amount and they just destroy like the the shafts of the tunnels. But that doesn't do anything because literally every day we are seeing Hamas fighters pop out and cook them and get, get cracking. It has not slowed down at all over the weeks. And according to like US intelligence, they believe that 20% of the tunnels have been destroyed. They have flattened the whole of the fucking country and they believe they've only got 20% of the tunnels after destroying the whole place. What's funny is that I believe that 20% number is cap. They haven't got a scooby of how these tunnels work. They've probably got maybe one or two or 5% max. No chance they've got 20% of the tunnels. No chance. No chance. They don't know how the tunnels work. Nor do they want to really go inside of them because they know it's dangerous. How often have you seen Israel post images of a tunnel that show like a Hamas command center? They haven't found niche, bro. They found a couple places where, yeah, there's a kitchen here and da, 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 but that don't mean nothing. They haven't found any real military bases. But I've literally seen videos of them in the tunnels like making snipers. So they're not getting the right places. Do you know what I'm saying? It's maddening. And they've literally, they've got rid of, they've dug up every cemetery apart from the one that has Israeli World War II um, people in in the cemetery they dug up in in the in the name of finding tunnels below that building name they ain't found shits bro so they have really really failed their military objectives which i'm going to talk about later but why this is interesting and i say this is because with this ceasefire and if it's a long ceasefire which means the end of the war how are they going to be able to articulate and pr spin a victory I've seen them already start saying like, oh yeah, we've done this in Khan Yunus, we've done this in Gaza City, we've done this, we've completely errat and destroyed Hamas's capabilities. They keep saying that, I keep seeing that stupid bitch Elon Levy speak about it. But that's not true. You can't tell me that you destroyed Hamas's military capability significantly if they are attacking you every single day, non-stop. Non-stop. Flogging you. So what's going to happen is... Once they do fully withdraw from Gaza and there's a loss and ceasefire, what would they have achieved? Um, the mass murder of innocent men, women and children, the eradication of basically the healthcare system, the education system, houses, and just basically made the whole country like basically homeless. They, they would have inflicted severe psychological damage, but in terms of military and political objectives, they will not, they have not destroyed Hamas. They, if anything, they have made Hamas more popular because they've been active resistance. And there's word of Hamas being even more popular in, in the West Bank now. They will not have achieved anything apart from mass destruction, which doesn't benefit in any way because their approval rating on the world scene has gone down. And now they're facing serious diplomatic and judicial issues. So how can they spin a victory? And I think that's why some of the deals I was hearing at first were saying, yeah, um, ceasefire deal and like all the Hamas leaders have to leave and never return. Because that way they can say, yeah, we kicked Hamas out of Gaza. But they can't agree to that. Hamas don't need to agree to that. Come catch us if you can, but you can't. It's been over 120 days. You can't, not say that Hamas haven't had losses. Of course they had losses, but not to that extent. And all you've done is made it more popular. I think this has been a massive failure. A significant failure. Tunnels, 
can't get through them. They're, they're destroying all your military tanks that cost millions of dollars with handmade RPGs. It's been an utter embarrassment. And all the genocidal rhetoric that's been spewed, this is what I'm interested in. Are they really going to attempt to occupy Gaza afterwards? Because the political pressure from abroad is a lot. And I also think this government isn't very strong right now. And that's why I believe they want to go and fight Hezbollah because once the war stops, unless you know who's cooked, cuz. Do you get what I'm saying? But anyway, let's have a quick pause. We'll keep, we'll keep going after the break. Yeah, th th these men are cooked. So this is why I'm so interested to see what's going to happen with the ceasefire. Because I think Hamas is in a stronger position because what the US military intelligence and Israel believed is that Hamas won't be able to survive long-term without food, resources, so on and so forth. So yeah, the on-the-ground combat isn't going our way, but we'll be able to outlast them like we've seen potentially happen with the Russians at last and the Ukrainians. But now they're starting to see that that's not the case. They haven't done enough damage to Hamas for that to be the case. Hence why they're willing to come to the table with talks of ceasefire. And I hope there's a ceasefire because I want there to be peace in the region. I want there to be innocent. I want the Israelis to be able to live as disgusting as some of them are. And we see some of the polls and it's very troubling. We're seeing Israeli people blockade trucks full of aids but i kind of believe that's kind of organized by the government i'm not sure if that's just off the back of some crazy zionists which i'm sure there's many in israel i want there to be peace i want the palestinians to have gaza to have the west bank at the very minimum and it to be recognized as a state which we'll talk later and to have their own right self-determination and with not any thought of how the israelis feel about it fuck them it's none of their business so hopefully we see the ceasefire. Now, how do I think this war's gone? I think this war's been a monumental disaster. A monumental disaster. What would I done differently if I was in charge of Israel? Well, first of all, if I was in charge of Israel, I wouldn't be a filthy colonizer and try to take over everybody's, somebody's country. But that aside, one would think what I've done. One, work out why the hell did we ignore the clear warnings from the Egyptians that this attack was going to happen? Why were our borders so easily breached and our Gaza defence force so easily eliminated? Sort that out and ensure such a breach can never happen again because as brave as Hamas may be and as willing, like I've seen a 30-minute video of uh, from an Israeli news channel about some of the videos from October the 7th and some of their military analysts. And you can see there was a lot of amateurish stuff from a lot of the people there. Not to say that all of them are amateurish, but bro, they had guns that were jamming, grenades that weren't going around. Like this is not exactly some, a complete and utter elite military force, but they bamboozled the Israeli defense uh, system. Sort out just to, so sort out first to ensure that we are safe. Secondly, what, why are we not safe? It's because of what we're doing. So, organize a the removal of a, of the blockade from Gaza, removal of the settlements in the West Bank. Yes, have our borders. Yes, you want to have a crazy ass wall, nasty what we call, but make sure our borders are safe and secure, and make sure they can't hurt us. 
Now, you, you're going to have to get retribution on Hamas because of what they did to your people. You, you can't be a country and allow people to come and do such thing. 695 innocent people killed, so on and so forth. So, strategic and targeted strikes on Hamas based on high-level intelligence and accuracy. Not carpet bombing, because all you're doing is creating issues for you on the international scene, right? Now, the almost immunity that people, that Israelis had where people don't even want to criticise them because they don't want to be labelled as anti-Semitic, that, that's gone now. That's gone now. So you've lost that, you've lost that going for you. And also you have now empowered more people to have more hatred against you in on your on your on your on your doorstep because of what you're doing. Because you're carpet bombing and mass punishing and um sorry, you are group punishing people. So if you're gonna and find a political solution that suits both parties. That's what I that's how I handle things differently, but then again, what do I know? Right? For whatever reason, some people believe that completely, utterly and destroying a whole population and trying to kick them out and ethnically cleanse them will make you more safe. The test of time has shown that's not true because people are going to fight for their lives. So they're not dumb. So yeah, man, like, <laughs> so what's interesting now is we're seeing them wanting to fight Lebanon. I mean, um, Hezbollah. What, this hunger for war now you've got pro-Israeli people on TV trying to get the UK and the US and the rest of the West to go fight Iran. No. 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 You go fight. You go join IDF. <laughs> the fuck? Why should our taxpayer money and our influence be endorsing war in the Middle East for what? It's, it's absolutely nonsensical. So this whole thing has been a complete and utter failure from Benjamin Netanyahu and his mob. Complete failure. In ground war, they got slapped up, showing the weakness of their army. In, in terms of the political landscape, they're going to, any next election, they're going to lose. In terms of the world scene, they have been completely and utterly mudded. Mudded. They have resorted to attacking UNRWA, which is the life source for people in Gaza. So the United States, uh, I think Australia, Canada, the UK, France, I think maybe Italy, so many countries have withdrawn funding, working out damn near $750 million worth of funding removed. And UNRWA said, we ain't gonna make it past February with this. <coughs> Thankfully, great countries like, oh, I say great in this regards, like Spain, who've offered to increase their donation Belgium, I think it was either, was it Denmark or Norway, um, Ireland, Scotland are not going to follow suit. And this is so funny because I was doing my research on this and this is off the strength of Israeli intelligence accusations that 12 members of a 30,000 deep workforce crossed the border when involved in October 7th for tax. Now, this was leads to the New York Times. And what's interesting is that the New York Times were made aware of this before UNRWA themselves. And this is from the words of a former um, head of UNRWA for 14 years. And what's interesting, now the number's gone down from 12 to, I think, six or four now. 
And what's interesting is that Sky News obtained these documents and they're like, one, these documents, these allegations have no evidence attached to it. There's no evidence, it's just information, just allegations. And secondly, even if these things are true, this does not implicate any issues with UNRWA, the organisation. Which is common sense. Even if, let's say, there was four, five, six people that were involved in October 7th doing terrible things, depending on what they did, in my opinion. But let's say just terrible things in general. Them being members of UNRWA doesn't indict UNRWA. That's just dumb. That's like saying, if we see people commit terrorist attacks in the UK, God forbid, and they all work for Tesco. That doesn't make sense. Do you think people who are terrorists, I don't think um, Hamas are terrorists. This is my personal opinion that I've developed over my research knowledge. I believe they they can commit acts of terrorism, for sure. Like they've done um, car explosions, blown up bus stops and stuff like that before. That, those are acts of terrorism. Same way I don't believe the Israeli government is a terrorist organisation. They're just a government, but they have committed unlimited acts of terrorism. Same with the United States on occasion. Same with the United Kingdom on occasion. That's my opinion. But again, UNRWA is the biggest employer in Gaza. So members of Hamas are probably going to have to have jobs to feed their family. So it won't be a shock to me if some members of UNRWA are also members of Hamas or affiliated with Hamas in one form, one way or another. And people are like, oh, look at this picture of these Hamas people working with UNRWA. Hamas are the ruling government in Gaza. By default, if you operate in Gaza, you're going to have to work for the government. It's not rocket science. But of course, this depiction of Hamas as these evil, super evil terrorists. Anyway, it's just disgusting. Like, so it's like, and this is this stuff has been um, on Israel. Apparently, have known this for weeks. But it's interesting. This came out on the, the day of the judgment of the ICJ, and a lot of the stuff that ICJ came from accounts from UNRWA. So UNRWA are effectively being punished for their work in Gaza. Obviously, they want to further starve people, I believe, to put more pressure on so they can remove people from Gaza. And also to punish UNRWA for going against Israel. That's just my belief. And just a little tidbit before we leave this um, episode to show you the level of destruction and senselessness in Gaza and how... It is just pure chaos and not strategic. So I can't remember the, late, the name of this um, this woman. She's I think she's on like a select committee um, in Parliament with regards to like the Foreign Secretary uh, with David Cameron, and she spoke of how there is like a charity, a British-based charity, and they work with another charity that's actually chaired by David Miliband, um, former um, he, former big big player in the Labour. Um, party and this charity had a building the building was not attached to any other building so it's a standalone building it was also on a lot of sand so there's no tunnels underneath and they wanted assurances that they would not get attacked so they contacted the uk defense cachet who contacted the idf in tel aviv to get assurances on the 22nd of december 2023 and the idf assured the uk defense cachet that yo Sorry, you're good, you're marked as humanitarian, you're safe, you're good, nothing's going to happen to you. Only for on the 19th of January for a fighter jet to bomb the same place. With four British doctors in the building, luckily they were safe. 
This is the this is clear evidence of what these men are on. This is this is the Brit a British charity that they what they know for a fact has nothing to do with Hamas, nothing to do with tunnels, nothing. Bombed it the same way. Absolutely bonkers. Okay, now to wrap up, what I believe this week is quite monumental. Foreign Secretary David Cameron suggests that after a ceasefire, the UK actually won't need to wait for what could be years on talks on two-state solution to recognise Palestine as a state. So David Cameron said, um, said that UK recognition of the independence state of Palestine including in the United Nations, can't come at the start of the process, but it doesn't have to be at the very end of the process, he said. It could be something that we consider at, as this process, as this advances to a solution, becomes more real. Let me say that sentence again, that sounds crazy. It could be something that we consider as this process, as this advance to the solution becomes more real. Sorry, that's actually the sentence. It, sound, it doesn't even sound sensible. What we need to do is give the Palestinian people a horizon towards a better future, the future of having a state of their own. That prospect is absolutely vital for long-term peace and security of the region. Britain, the US and other Western countries have supported the idea of independent Palestinian existing alongside Israel as a solution. However, obviously the Israelis, they don't believe in this. Now this is monumental because this means that, this is not the first time we're hearing in a very long time, if not ever, of the agreement that Palestine could be its own independent state without the condition of them getting the approval of Israel on so have you forth, right? Which is ridiculous. They should have their own state and be able to be self-determined. What I don't want to see is them to kind of make this a state and try to put in some puppet government that's effectively at the behest of Saudi Arabia or United Nations, I mean, or the Arab Emirates or or somebody that the Americans and the Israelis and the Brits can easily influence. No. Make their mistakes. Let them elect their own people. Period. Point blank, period. I hope this happens, but obviously we're going to know, we're going to see so much protest against this. And we've seen it from a lot of pro-Israel backers. They're saying, this is a bad president. This shows that what Hamas did is the right thing and this shows that this is how they get... No, 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 no. Statehood is not an op for negotiation. Why should somebody have self-determination in another country that can't? This is the issue in the first place. Their lack of self-determination. They will keep fighting until they get their self-determination. I don't know what's not clicking for these, these sickos. But anyway, I hope to see that soon. That's it for this week's pod. Please hit me up on underscore nomics on Twitter, Dysonomics Pod on Instagram for any questions. Obviously, Dysonomics on YouTube. Follow that. And until the next episode, peace and blessings. Bow. Sports Social Podcast Network.